A hundred years from now, when people are like, where did Booksing Day come from? Oh, boy. <laughs> this is the historical account of the creation of Booksing Day. So I'm not sure, but isn't the day, isn't the day after Christmas called Boxing Day? Tim, look it up. It's Boxing Day. Yeah, it is. The day after Christmas. So what I would like to propose, and uh, I think we should vote on it as Thinklings, is that we change Boxing Day. We're going to add one letter. We're going to add an O. It's going to be called Booksing Day. <sighs> as a Thinklings group, let's uh, say all in favor, say aye. 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 There we go. It passes unanimously. Uh, and have we so ever had a vote? We have not. So that's also a new thing we're doing, apparently. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, our annual... Christmas. Do we have a special name for that? Chronicles of Christmas. Chronicles of Christmas, yeah. Merry you know, Christmas. I, I'm so excited to be here for this one because my favorite episode of the year is the Thanksgiving's episode. I had to miss it. So I'm really excited to be here for Chronicles of Christmas. That is probably one of my favorite titles of it is. names of podcasts. Thanksgiving's. It just gives me the... Mm. It, it's beautiful. Chronicles of Christmas is good, too. Oh, yeah. And we, I, you know, we used to be, or maybe I... <clears throat> You tried to use to be used to try to be words, words are so tough, guys. <laughs> you are the reigning word salad king. That of our, is our a podcast. sound bite right there that clearly <laughs> demonstrates that we don't plan what we're going to say. We used to try to be a little bit more creative with titles, and uh, you've had some good ones, and maybe are, we could bring that back. But anyway, we, we should maybe season eight. We'll try to come up with some really catchy titles, and we'll get famous. You know, for our titles. That'd be fun. Forget the content. Anyway. What are we doing here? What we're going to do in this episode. I just love it. Charlie's like, he floats away. He's floating. He's floating. Tim's like anger. What are we doing? Back <laughs> if you can't notice, I do get easily distracted. So here's what we're going to do in this episode. We're going to have some Andy's Weekly Wisdom. Even though Andy is back, we're just going to keep doing that because it's a wonderful thing. And uh, at some point, we'll have a, ta a Tim's Weekly Something and a Charlie's Weekly Something. And uh, yeah, see how that goes. But we'll have Andy's Weekly Wisdom, and then we're just going to go around the table, and we usually are in some way either recommending a book, maybe it's like, hey, buy this for someone as a Christmas gift, or hey, maybe you should read this, and uh, you know, this is what we're going to read over Christmas, and it's kind of all of those things that we're going to blend together for uh, our Chronicles of Christmas episode, and uh, yeah. And that's what we're going to do. So, whoosh. Whoosh. That's, oh yeah, that's right. That's the Passover. All right, so I, weekly wisdom. I should go back to the previous episode where you did that one for me. Whoosh. And like use that sound bite. There you but go. We'll, we'll see. Maybe that'll be a, a, a season eight edition. I like this. And something we've always talked about is I want to get like a, a compilation of Tim saying books in business in like yes. slightly different ways. And like put it together before books and business, so you know like that's what we're doing, like a little intro soundbite. But you know, we all have <laughs> lives to live. Anyway, Andy's weekly wisdom. So I have a pile of quotes on the wall in my office that are quotes that I really like. I haven't added to them in a while. I need to keep adding to them. But I was just flipping through them, 
a minute ago and I found this one. This is by Richard Baxter and it's um, on preaching. It's an older book. And so he's talking basically to preachers, but I think there's an application to all of us in what he says and you'll hear it. He says this, he's, and he's, he's, he's encouraging preachers to walk closely with the Lord as they serve God. He says, when I let my heart grow cold, my preaching will be cold. And when it is confused, my preaching is confused. We are the nurses of Christ's, Christ's little ones. If we forbear taking food ourselves, we shall famish them. It will soon be visible in their leanness. If we let our love decline, we are not like to raise up theirs. If we abate our holy care and fear, it will appear in our preaching. If we feed on unwholesome food, either errors or fruitless controversies, our hearers are like to fare worse for it. What I thought was so interesting is he's saying, as the preacher loves the wrong things and fills himself with the wrong things, that bleeds out into those he ministers to. We've talked a lot about discipleship on this podcast. And I think it's probably true for you in the pew and me in the pew. If I'm feeding on error, if I'm filling my mind with those sorts of things, then anyone I'm influencing is going to be finished, is going to be influenced by those two. So there you go. Sounds a lot like Second Timothy 2. Um, you have the three metaphors, the soldier, the athlete, and then yes, the... That was, I, that's what I was thinking of, Tim. Farmer. So Second Timothy 2.7, consider what I say and may the Lord... Or no, 2.6. A hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. You have to eat the text and feed on the word before you can actually share it with somebody else. Uh, what was the title of that book again? Uh, I didn't have it written down. I think it's The Reformed Preacher. The Reformed Preacher. Pastor. It's a reformed pastor. Reformed pastor. It's like by Richard Baxter. 200 years old, 300 yeah. years old. Yeah. It's been reprinted like 100 yeah. times. Very good. All right. So let's do some book recommendation and talk. And I'm going first, right? Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. So I have four titles that are, it's not new or exciting, but a lot of good things that you've heard before. And there's reasons why I've picked each of these. And so some of them are more concrete, uh, Christian growth or discipleship oriented, two of them specifically. And then the other two are more fiction-y, adventure-y, thinky, fun books uh, in that sense. So I think I used the word think for both sides, uh, which is good. It's good. That's a good thing. But two of them are, are less real than the others, but they're still very helpful. In life, and so we're going to start on the uh, more serious discipleship side. And uh, I have a couple of gentlemen in our church that we get together, and one of these guys who is a student at Faith asked me recently, "What would be some literally? What are some good books I could read over Christmas break?" And so uh, here's a capture of that conversation. Well, you know, and th th these conversations have happened in the hallways of our church, in our church van, things like that. Well, what do you want to read? Or what do you like to read? And, you know, what, what, what do you think you should be reading? Like, what, what do you want? You know? And so in that conversation, we've talked about, like, you should read. So maybe this is an honorable mention. I've been trying to get him to read the Ransom Trilogy. Oh, man. See. And... Not it's like going right for the London broil, you know. That's just but skip the cheeseburger. I haven't, I haven't sold him. I haven't sold him on that yet, and maybe he will. And if he's listening to this, 
you should get a copy of Out of the Silent Planet and oh, dive in. But uh, so, so for him, and I'm going to text him this, I, I think a good book to kind of be in that realm is Mere Discipleship by Alistair McGrath, where he's just going to, you're thinking about theology and imagination and discipleship, and that's kind of what he wanted. He was looking for a not super short, but kind of short book that's Christian growth or something like that. And as I kind of looked through the things I've read over the years, uh, that's what for this particular guy I thought of was Mere Discipleship by McGrath. And so we've talked about it before. You could go back and find those episodes. Maybe I will and put them in the show notes. That would be what a good podcast uh, editor would do. Um, but it's it's not a super groundbreaking book in any way. You know, I don't think it's exceptionally good. Like everybody has to have this. But Alistair McGrath is a great thinker. And it's, it's worth the read for a couple of the ideas he throws out. And so... Uh, that's one book that I'm probably going to review over Christmas or into the new year and hopefully doing that alongside of uh, this other gentleman in my church. That's Mere Discipleship by McGrath. I, I'm i going to talk about three different books for my first book. Is that legal? Anyway, I haven't read any of them. Counting is hard. It is. So Charlie, word is hard. Tim, counting is hard. <laughs> uh, so in the publishing world, uh, I've kind of been noting a transition in evangelical presses. I'm kind of interested to see where we're going to be in like three years. Where will Baker Publishing really be? Where will IVP uh, really be? And then what I would, I, I can kind of see this happening as these little presses are kind of blossoming up that are going to be the new evangelical presses or something like that. I could see that happening. Faith publications, baby. We're, we're, we're really small, but there are other ones like G3 Ministries, Northeastern Baptist Press, and some other smaller publishers. I wonder if they're going to, you know, come up. But anyway, um, Erdman's published uh, back in May, The Rise and Fall of Dispensationalism, How the Evangelical Ooh. Battle Over the End Times Shaped a Nation. That's that's on my list to read. Yeah, it's on my list to read as well. I started reading it at ETS, and I haven't gotten very far. Uh, but the you know the idea of the book is just right there in the title. You have the rise and then the fall of dispensationalism, which to me seems a little bit ironic because another one of those really small new presses is SCM Press, which stands for Southern California Sem no, SCS Southern California Seminary Press. Yeah, that's it. Southern California Seminary Press, which is essentially the uh, small press affiliated with Dr. David Jeremiah and um, the se small seminary, Southern California Seminary, uh, down there. Uh, Corey Marsh is a dispensationalist. <laughs> You're awesome. I was going to say, you got to talk about Marsh. Yeah, and he is one of the edit one of the authors, and and basically he's the one in charge of SCM Press. I've gotten to know him at ETS and the um, Bible Faculty Leadership Summit. He was there this last year. They just reprinted or not? They just printed a new book called Discovering Dispensationalism. This book is available in the bookstore. Doctor Paul has an article in this book. What were you guys going to talk about this? No, book? I just I, I so I follow the guy on Twitter. Corey? Just, yeah. And yeah. I, I've been following him. Like, man, this guy's great. He was at Bible faculty? Yeah, he was. Okay. Man, that's cool. Pause for a moment there. One, 
could we get him to come on our podcast? Oh, yeah. yeah. He would. Seriously. That mm-hmm. should happen. Yes. And th- so when you start, you said, you said, I'm going to mention three <clears throat> books. And you started talking dispensationalism. Well, yeah, dispensationalism. I was like, he he has to mention discovering dispensationalism because Dr. Paul wrote it. Well, and that's the irony because what is the first book I mentioned? The rise and fall, fall. fall of dispensationalism. What has just recently been printed? Discovering discovering dispensationalism, and this isn't the only book on dispensationalism that's been newly published. Central Seminary Press just printed Dispensationalism Revisited, a 21st Century Restatement. So within the broad evangelical presses, what is their estimation of dispensationalism? It's dead. Okay, but actually what you see is these smaller presses saying, we're not dead, we're not. There's a difference between popular level dispensationalism and then the academic theological dispensationalism of an institution like Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary. So for my Christmas reads, all three of these books you'd probably be, you would benefit from reading because it would give you a broad evangelical Erdman's estimation of it. But then also, I would particularly recommend Discovering Dispensationalism, which actually Dr. Paul's article specifically is addressing how dispensational thought was present in the early church. Uh, and so it really, I think, could be a great book that we need to talk about some more on our podcast and maybe by some miracle have Dr. Paul get on the podcast and talk about it or better yet, maybe Corey Marsh. Yeah. And so I think, you know, my Maranatha is incredibly blessed because we get to have Dr. Paul there. And so often I just have like these little side by the way, conversations about random things with him. When Charlie mentions Maranatha, he's talking about his church, not yeah. an- another institution of higher learning. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so he just meant come quickly. That's all. So, Doctor Paul and I, this conversation was happening in the kitchen mm. at our church uh-huh. while I was cleaning the coffee crafts after a service, and he had come to talk to me about something completely different. And then I was like, "Hey, uh, I have a question for you," and because. The caricature that most people have of a dispensationalist is different than what we really are and what we really believe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we ought to be careful too that our caricature of other theological positions not be incorrect. But the one of the common problems that people will say about dispensationalism is, well, it didn't exist until like 1950. It's all this brand new, you know, da, 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 da. like, and so I had interacted with some tweets Mm -hmm. and people saying things like that. And so while I had Dr. Paul standing there, I'm doing the dishes. I'm like, Hey, do you have any good references that I could go to that would demonstrate that these ways of thinking are not only a hundred years old? And he's like, well, I I just, you know, wrote in this book called discovering dispensationalism and it's in the faith (laughs) bookstore. And so I've been planning to get a copy of that. And so it's, I just love that, you know, you brought it up too. Mention that you heard us talk about it on the podcast and uh, take 25% off. Just mention that to uh, our staff. That's good to the end of January. Just This is just a super fine point about something you just said. Uh, listener, no one thinks dispensationalism is only 100 years old. Um, it's They think it goes back Ish. to about 1800 or a little earlier with John Nelson Darby. And, and I think when I've heard people just debate that, because it's like a couple hundred is basically the idea. Then everyone's like, oh, yeah, Covenant's way older than that. But they would, 
I think Dr. Paulus said it wasn't fully formulated until about 100 years before dispensationalism. So it really is like if, you, if you're talking about fully formed systems, there's not a lot of difference. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and, and really what matters is going back before it was codified because so much of theology is, yeah. is being studied and worked out. And it's, it, it'd, be like, it'd be like saying something like justification by faith alone didn't exist until Martin Luther came up with the thought, you know, like, <laughs> yes. and, and I think that's kind of the, the caricature that dispensationalists have to deal with is that, well, this can't be true because it's so new. And if it was really true, why don't we see it in the early church? And here, insert the room, uh, an early church patristic scholar named Paul Hartog, who's like, oh, now, he would never say this, but, oh, well, what about that guy? And, okay, anyway. Yeah, so... Blabbered on too long about it, but well, it's worth it. <laughs> dispensationalism is important. I'll just throw this last thing out. Just, it's really important. Even some of the people that we read and really like are friends to us, but they're not dispensational, and it affects a lot of your inter interpretation of the Bible. For example, uh, this one blogger who we really like... Uh, had this article about uh, when you poke God in the eye, which I thought that article or that title was interesting because I knew that the Old Testament speaks specifically as Israel being the apple of God's eye. So it seemed to be like I'm poking God in the eye by touching God's people. And so in that article, the author had this quote, we do not need to look hard or look far today to find people who mean to do damage to God's people. No longer ethnic Israel, but the church God has called from all nations, tribes, and tongues. So this author being reformed does not see a Israel in the future, the church is God's new Israel. And while I really do like Tim Challies and a lot of the stuff that he prints and publishes, and I love his heart for the Lord, he's off when it comes to a future for Israel. So we want you to enjoy and appreciate some of his writings, but you need to understand also the difference that we have with them. All right. Next. So mine is going to be a Christmas book. This is where we have an actual themed book here. Uh, <clears throat> listener, this was a fun discovery right before, so you're going to get two thinklings on this one. We, um, my family and I had a really, we had a really positive experience staying at the hospice house uh, when Robin was in her last three months. And so we want to get Christmas gifts for everyone. And so we have purchased 50 copies of a book called Christmas Uncut. What Really Happened and Why It Matters by Carl Lafferton. I don't, guys, this book is like, what would you say? Like, it's a book. It counts as a book, but it's tiny. It's about 75 pages. Yeah, we, I've got 70, 78. And, wow. And I, my horrendous. hand actually goes past the top and the bottom. I have larger hands. Um, but why I'm saying that is this book is an, 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 an very accessible. My son wanted to read it, and I was like, here you go. I mean, it's not going to be too deep. And it's got a cool little unique way it goes about what it's doing. So let me explain. So what he wants to do is he wants to tell the Christian Christmas story in a way that's simple and clear and cuts out all of the cultural baggage that's part of the American traditional like popular Christmas, but also pulls back the unseemly parts of the Christmas story that have been cut out of the story if all you've ever seen is some cultural thing or like a nativity scene. So he, what he does is he tells little vignettes at the beginning of each chapter about 
when he has been in a Christmas play. And they're kind of funny. Uh, I mean, he's like really little in the first vignette. And it's like every year he's like getting a little older and, and they're like stories from his past. And I would say they're cute and funny and most people reading it will find it entertaining. Uh, but each chapter has three sections and he starts off with this little vignette. And then he says, what really happened? And the vignette usually is something about the Christmas story, like the wise men or Mary or whatever. And then he has a whole section where he explains what's really happening from the Bible. And it's cool. We were just talking about how cool this is. He explains to the reader that anytime you see sentences in bold typeface, that's actually a direct quote from the Bible. So the cool thing is that if your reader doesn't have a Bible, all the Bible is written in here. Now, think of who this would fit really well for. Someone who's only ever heard the Christmas story from either something on cultural, like you know, television, movies, whatever, or they saw Christmas play when they went to see their niece or nephew or whatever. But Christmas plays don't talk about all these things. So the first chapter is on Mary. And <clears throat> just to give you a little taste of it, his whole point is that it was a very shocking and scandalous situation. So he explains what the text says and so the what really happened section is very helpful. And then he gets to the why it really matters. He talks about the issue of shame and scandal and how Joseph was actually really, really godly to not just dump the woman. Um, Mary, even though this was good news for her, man, she was going to have to live with some possible scorn and shame. And then he brings it down to your own shame. How do you deal with shame in your life? We all have problems with shame. And that's where he begins to pepper in the beginnings of the gospel. And as you go through the book near the end, he gets very overt with the gospel. I really thought, I thought his application sections were very helpful. Now, listener, I walked in with this book and Charlie's like, what? What do you got that book? And so he's going to jump in with some thoughts too. So what do you want to comment on the book too? Uh, I, not really. I mean, we talked about it uh, about a week or two ago or early in December um, when it was just a duet with Tim and I that our church had gotten a bunch of copies and encouraged people to hand them out. And, you know, most people, you know, would just, you know, take that tacit endorsement by their pastor and just go mm -hmm. with it. I had to read it before I would hand it to someone. Me too. And so I took one home and I read it and I really liked it for yeah. the same reason you yep. already highlighted. And, uh, so I got a couple of copies and I'm planning to give them to some people and, um, yeah. Yeah. I really liked it. So I would recommend it. And I think just remember, he's not going to go, um, to like a super deep level exegesis, but what he's going to do is, is, is true. And it's going to help someone who's maybe not exposed to Christianity much or has been exposed to wrong things to actually understand what. Christmas is about and the gospel. And I think that's going to be a, a very useful tool, really useful tool. So we're going to include this with some gifts and it'll be a good little thing. So that's my first. So as a recommendation, Reddit, recommend it. Yeah. I, I can't remember if I gave it a number, but it was like something like a five or something. I don't know if I even gave it one, but yeah. So uh, continuing the same theme, which I mentioned before, my first book was thinking through a recommendation <coughs> for this guy in my church. And the next couple of them are actually in that same category where I was like, oh, what would be some good books that I could either recommend to him or read with him? And uh, so nice. I hope we caught that on the. All right, that, that's the coffee 
uh, pot dinging on the mug as Andy <laughs> I'm so is sorry about that. Coffee. No, that's This wonderful. mic was right in the way, but hey, coffee, are, coffee's so important. Those are joyous sounds. That's like hoof, hooves on the top of the roof, you know, and a big man coming down your chimney. It's a, you know, the clinking of... <laughs> What is he talking about? Hoofs Horrendous. on a roof. Hoofs yeah. on a roof. Hoofs on a roof. <laughs> oh, wow. Anyway. <laughs> Sounds like Elf on a Shelf. Yeah, that it does. is horrendous. Okay. Uh, let's back up here. We're stopping that right there. So, recommending books to friend to read with them. And so, the first one was the discipleship book, and that's more concrete, uh, where I, I don't like to use the word, but academic. It's more academic. You're going to think through what he's saying. And so the next one is like to the other side of the spectrum where it is fiction, still trying to get you to think about some things, but it's a story and uh, I think it's a really good story. So the next thing I'm going to recommend to read for this young guy, or maybe I'm going to plan to read it with him, is The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And uh, yeah. I'm yeah. not sure if he's read it or not. Uh, what I also know of this particular student is we've ha- we've discussed reading Narnia and maybe wasn't his favorite cup of tea there. And so maybe some other Lewis fiction might spark some interest about some of those same topics. If you're not familiar with The Great Divorce, we have also talked about that on the podcast before, so we won't get into it. But it is an imaginative story of a guy who gets on a bus in hell. The bus drives or flies up to heaven, and there's a lot of conversations there with other passengers about getting into heaven is essentially the storyline. And there's a lot of salvation type discussion, but there's also more Christian living type of thoughts. And Lewis is not trying through the book to tell you how necessarily to get saved. He's not ever going to spell out the gospel plainly, uh, but it's ideas about it. And you're thinking about that. You're imagining this scenario. And most of it kind of fits into the category of do people living on earth think like that? And so I think it's a, an interesting read. It's C.S. Lewis. So most of the time, that's just a, a plain endorsement with the name. But So that's going to be a recommendation. I might read that with him, but that'd be my uh, second book. I'm probably going to read it over the Christmas break here is The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. My second book is. I'm not going to say a whole lot about it, but it's one that I'm hoping to read. So this one's more for me than it is for you. Uh, but Catherine Dell has written several books on uh, wisdom literature. She's a pretty well-known and esteemed Old Testament wisdom scholar. She has a new book that was released in October, The Lord by Wisdom Founded the Earth, Creation and Covenant in Old Testament Theology. So uh, in this title uh, in this book. It's it's a wisdom literature book, but she is drawing a greater connection to the beginning chapters of Genesis. So the idea of creation and then covenant, uh, but also uh, connecting it to wisdom literature. So like in the book of Proverbs, you have a lot of creation terminology connected to wisdom. Proverbs chapter three, Proverbs chapter eight. I'm expecting that she's going to explore those ideas a little bit more. So uh, she is an author that I believe so within within more the more scholarly literature uh you you have like Annette Schell, uh, Schellenberg who basically says uh like song of songs is not wisdom literature uh, this is one of the conversations within Old Testament wisdom literature then you have Catherine Dell who says yes song of songs is wisdom literature so what is 
wisdom literature even. And so Catherine Dell, I think, has a better grasp on uh, that idea of what wisdom literature is. So she's a scholar that I've kind of um, followed a little bit, and this is a new book that she's released. So I'm looking forward to checking this out during uh, Christmas break. Um, probably not something you're going to be too interested in. It's a more academic title. But uh, The Lord by Wisdom Founded the Earth, Creation and Covenant in Old Testament Theology by Catherine Dell. So... I love this next book. I'm only halfway through, but I'm going to recommend it. But it's been one of my, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a fun read. So I think I saw this on Chally's a la carte, and it was like three bucks or something ebook. It's called Clear Winter Nights by Trevin Wax. And it's a journey into truth, doubt, and what comes after is the subtitle. It's a fictional story. And it's, it's the story of this guy who grows up in like a Southern Baptist context and he's going to be part of a church plant. He's been helping a church plant. He's dating a girl. This is all in the first chapter. So I'm giving some stuff away, but it will set the book up and he's having some doubts about Christianity, but he hasn't talked to anyone. His grandfather is a retired pastor. It seems like a very godly man. His own dad is not in the picture. At the beginning of the book, you find out later why, and I'm, I'm not sure if I'll reveal that and I don't want to give it away, but it would go along a lot with things I've talked about in the past about how you make certain people into atheists. But um, so he, he, he realizes that through going to college, he now understands that there's problems in the Bible and it's just power structures and people. It's, it's all the, the normal critiques of liberalism <clears throat> and he basically has been taken by them. And so he, he ends up having to break off his engagement with this girl because he does, he's, I'm not really sure if I'm comfortable playing this church. And she's like, what do you mean? This is what we've been preparing for. This is why you went to a year of seminary. And he's like, well, I just don't know if I'm actually comfortable going to church in general. And that's when like, there's this big break. Well, the grandfather lost his wife and he's been living alone and he kind of has a cane. And so this guy offers to go live with him for a couple of like a weekend or so. And so it's the story of how his grandfather, who knows his Bible really well, interacts with him, who has all these doubts. And I didn't expect this, but there's like an apologetic sub-theme where the grandpa answers the questions and the charges from the liberal professors in the SBC seminary that this guy went to. And it's not cheesy. Like, books like this can be kind of cringy cheesy. Like, as a like apologetics teacher, this is like really good stuff. Um, and he doesn't just, he doesn't just put up an argument and knock it down. Like that would be good, but he's actually getting into the, like, I don't know what word you use, the psychological, the emotional, the, like that side of things. And it's, it's really cool. There's a couple of times where he, the, the main character, uh, what's his name? Chris, maybe. Yeah. Chris, the main character with the doubts, lays out his argument against Christianity, whatever it is. And I remember, I remember thinking that's like a good recent argument. Like that's right where our culture is. He He's like up to date on this. And then the grandpa, I'm like, what's he going to say? Is it going to be some psychobabble mumbo jumbo or whatever? No, he like literally logics it to pieces huh. and then explains scriptural verses. It's, <clears throat> I did not expect it. I didn't expect it. Um, here's an example. So Chris says, uh, let me, uh, he, he says, I don't think any religion is superior, Grandpa. 
And for us to say one is, is like very arrogant. Like, how can we know? We, no one can have certainty about these things. Uh-huh. It's a whole argument about, can you be certain of anything? And the grandpa's like, so you don't think any one is more prior, like more superior than another. And he's like, I don't think you can say that. So, um, he says, you think so? And suddenly Chris wasn't so sure. And he says, well, why wouldn't I? And he says, well, that's a mighty big statement. If you ask me to say no religion is better than another to say all religions are equal, you know, that's a belief too. And I bet whoever says something like that probably believes that idea is better than yours or mine. And then Chris says, I'm confused. And he's like, my point is this. You don't lose the attitude of superiority by saying no religion is superior. You get even more reason to feel superior. Now you're the one standing over and against all religions of the world saying none is better than another. And that's like a super, like, like you don't catch that when people are making that argument. So there's just little bits where I'm like, wow, that was really good. So anyways, I, I'm only halfway through and I'm going to recommend it, but I, I may come back in like a month and say, don't. But I, I've enjoyed it. It was, it was light reading. There's some good stuff in it. I liked it. What was the title again? Clear Winter Nights by Trevin Wax. He, he's on the, NAM, the North American Mission Board or something for the SBC. And he's, he's, I think he's done a lot of blogging and some writing. Um, but I didn't know he had done anything fictional. So Yeah, so my first interaction with Trevin Wax is he had blogged or something about uh, <clears throat> Carl McIntyre. No, not Carl McIntyre. Truman. <laughs> That's a deep, deep take there. Battle for the Bible, baby. Uh, wow. Anyway, uh, is, was that Carl McIntyre? No, that wasn't. Carl McIntyre was like a Presbyterian pastor in Ohio. Like a fundamentalist movement. Yeah, that, he, he was one of the... Yeah, he was back in that story. Yeah, uh, what... Anyways. Was it like Carl F.H. F. H. Henry? Carl F.H. Henry. That's, that's the... No, a lot of shall Carl's the fundamentalist win the uneasy conscience okay, who of who was Battle for the Bible? That was um, I'm in the right zone, but wrong um, name. Uh, the mi- name's on the tip of my head. It doesn't matter. Oh, we'll come Harold up with Lindsell. later. Harold Lindsell, thank ah, you. Yep, yes. that's it. Yeah. Anyway, so he was writing about uh, Truman. Can I? I'm sorry, I have to fix this. I said Carl F. H. Henry was shall the fundamentalist win. Nope. That was the liberal Harry Emerson Fosdick. Carl F. H. Henry was the uneasy conscience of modern fundamentalism. Yes. Sorry. Let's get all of our quagmire out of the way. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of great history there that, uh, you know, on point with our dispensationalism <laughs> discussion from earlier. <laughs> so I feel like that. I, now I have the theology salad. That's what we'll the say. The only <laughs> name you need to know is J. Frank Norris. <laughs> Oh my word. Shall the fundamentalists win? There's the left hand. There's, there's the left <laughs> yeah, field. Yeah, they will, baby. Left field is back. Anyway, All right, so, All right carry on about Trevor. Actually, I do have a couple books on Norse. Trevor! He, he was commenting on Strange New World or um, what's the other title that was before Strange New uh, World? Rise and Triumph yeah. of the Modern Rise and Song. Triumph. Thank you. And I th- that was my interaction. He had had some comments about, might have had a podcast or something where, he, you know, there was a guest yeah. or something talking about it. And, and that was where I was like, and again, man, Twitter's just getting a lot of airtime. I'm sorry. No, sorry, Elon. X. Oh, my word. X is X so X is dumb. getting a lot of airtime today or space time. Keep going. Anyway, keep going. Uh, th- that's where I heard of him and followed him on Twitter. And uh, I'm not sure if I still follow him on Twitter, but that, I, I think he's, he's in the zone there of some good thinking, which that, that intrigued me that it's fiction. So I actually probably will get that. Read wow. He's got a bunch of books. So I just went, he, he does a lot with the gospel coalition and he's, his blog is kingdom people. And he's got a bunch of books. 
Uh, so this is not his first, but that kind of makes sense because like Jared Wilson has a really cool yeah. sci-fi book and, and everything else he has is pastoral and theological yeah. and so. Which is good to balance yeah. out, you mm-hmm. know, you know, and I think this would be a cornerstone idea. I don't want to call it a belief, but a cornerstone idea of the Inklings is that imaginatively you can arrive at truths. Yes. It doesn't have to be absent of your imagination. And in mm-hmm. fact, if it is, it probably not as good as it could be if you can't imagine or think it through creatively anyway so back to the stack i'm recommending again this is all under that umbrella of young college student is like hey what should i read and so my first thought was oh maybe mere discipleship would be a title he'd like and then oh maybe great divorce by lewis would be something he likes and then the third title i was like well this would hit him right where he's at he is to my knowledge single and I thought, what would be a good book that he and I could go through together? It would be the Song of Songs for Singles, which I'm trying to get through. I'm about 70 pages in. So, uh, but that would be a good reason for me to pick it back up. And then I was thinking about <laughs> recommending that to him. That, that's got to be the most unfamiliar content of any book you've ever read in your entire life. Yeah, it's not like, like you, I've ever heard Like any... you have no idea what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I think I've heard most of it. No, uh, you haven't. I, I don't know. I've been around for a long time, Tim. What? Yeah, I, gotta, I still haven't read it, Tim. So I there was you there's a day, a listener, for me. There's actually this has happened on multiple occasions where Tim has spoken at an event, and because they know that I'm friends with Tim, they text me about what Tim is speaking on, and so like I hear like in good, good reverberations of things from around uh, our state. Uh, when, did you know Tim is talking about this? I do know that Tim talks about that. <laughs> and, and so anyway, um, Song of Songs for Singles, obviously we're biased. You know, Tim is going to jump in with some comments here as well. But uh, that is a book that I would recommend, uh, even though I haven't read it completely or maybe don't know all of its content. This would be something I would say uh, of... A lot of writers is that I definitely trust the worldview and I trust the exegesis of the author. And so as you walk through the ideas that are presented, they are presented from scripture. So Song of Songs, it's a book in the Bible, and Tim is uniquely equipped to walk through that text and then explain what's going on there. And I think he applies it really well for us. So trust the exegesis of the book, trust the worldview of the book, and uh, knowing Tim uh, you know, he, you maybe get a picture of him of like the eye rolling, horrendous, fun hating guy. <laughs> fun hating. Hey, I have a lot of fun. Just, I know. He has you a have too much. That's incorrect. It's a straw man. It's a straw man. He has a different taste for a different kind of fun. He's a more refined. A more refined taste. Yes. Yeah. We eat donuts and he eats eclairs. Yes, eclairs. <laughs> that is hilarious. Well, the, the point of the point of what I was saying there is. Caffeine's really kicking in, isn't it? Understand his understand his heart for the book, which is to meet a great need for uh, whether they're young, they're old, wherever they are, for singles to think through your sexuality, how you will serve in that capacity. And uh, I have appreciated Tim and his counsel to me on those subjects. Uh, whether through his book or through the podcast or through direct intervention. Um, yeah, so you can, I think you can trust the heart 
in the mind of the author here. And so anyway, that would be, uh, that's another book I'm going to recommend to this friend of mine mm -hmm. to maybe purchase and read through. And, uh, yeah, some comments. I mean, I know I'm the author, so I'm, I don't know. I've read it. Uh, so I'm familiar with the content. <laughs> and so oh. as opposed to these two guys, they have not read it. I have read it. I have read which, um, a little bit I have of to it. say not to cast a Paul, but it was never really high on my list. <laughs> but now I'm single. Oh, yes. That's like different. not to cast a Paul in the moment, right? right. Like I probably have to actually be more familiar with that. I know. I was I was searching it's for weird. A, I was searching for a it's word weird. pun there and I couldn't find it. Mm. Casting a Paul. Yeah, I was wondering where you're going with that too. I didn't catch it. No, no I, I just I I, I'm not trying to like take yeah, the yeah, episode yeah. over, but it's been weird like things like that. Like right. I, I see your book, Tim, and I'm like, man, I actually like that's not like, really a fitting it's, it's a little different, but it like, is. Yeah, but I mean I was talking to Angela last night, like I'm the only married guy on the podcast you are. now. You're, so Tim, you're like, outnumbered. Yeah, I know. So anyway, like I've had some really good feedback on the book. Charlie's face right there. I wanted to share. That face was the face of discernment. <clears throat> that was a good discernment face there, Charlie. Do you say it? Do you say it? No. Don't say it. Um, so I, I've had a lot of positive feedback on the book, both from married couples and from singles. So I wanted to share just a little bit uh, of that feedback because I – I don't know. I mean, I'm the author. So is this self-promoting? Whatever. Uh, I think you really need yep. to read our book. It is self-promoting, but we put a lot of time and effort into this because I think it's important. And what we've realized and what the feedback I've gotten is that it is really important. Some people have really grasped that idea. And what they're doing is they're really trying to share share that information. So even if you've heard a lot of the stuff on our podcast, there's a lot of stuff that I will not bring up on the podcast. And so that's why you working through the book yourself with your parent in a youth group with your youth leader or with your pastor or pastor's wife, if you're a young woman, uh, um, would be very beneficial for you. So did you have something? I do want to add something. Mm -hmm. You talked about the self-promotion thing, mm -hmm. but from just a purely like logical standpoint, mm -hmm. if you have a heart and a, and like a heartbeat for this topic yeah. to the point where you've spent this many years studying it mm -hmm. and then you promote it, yeah. that that's, I don't think that's pride or arrogance. Mm -hmm. That's like, man, you, you really want people to know this. And right. just as an observer of you, I know that's why you're promoting yeah. it. We, we joke about Tim being like Mr. Bookstore and all that, everybody, but he really has a heart for this specific topic for people. And that's behind the promotion. And if he didn't, I would promote it or Charlie would like, mm -hmm. he, this is a really beneficial ministry mm -hmm. that he and his wife have. And we're very thankful for it. So I've been reading through the book hey, with... you got to be careful. That's a special edition copy. It is. It is. It's got my special Tim inscription in the front, <laughs> which was plagiarized. You took a line from C.S. Lewis and you did not attribute it to him. No, not C.S. Lewis. Owen Barfield. <laughs> Opposition is true friendship. <laughs> yes. Horrendous. Carry on. Plagiarism is not okay. So like I read through this, I, we, I've been reading through our book in the guy's dorm uh, with just some of the guys and they get to ask whatever questions they want. And they've repeatedly said things like, wow, the church needs to be talking about this. Wow, we need to be uh, learning this stuff. And they've even realized they've made mistakes already in their high school years. And um, 
and uh, and they lament even just like wow i wish you know i had heard this earlier and i'm not trying to be critical of like their parents or their youth groups or their churches um that's why we wrote the book because nobody is talking about it and nobody knows it uh, which is why i think it's it's really important and one pastor even wrote in and uh, he he said, my wife and I read it last week, and it has been an eye-opening experience as we now understand a portion of the Word of God that is often neglected. And they are going to work their youth group through the book because they realize the importance of the message. Uh, there is one uh, guy who uh, oversees like a, a young boys ministry um, and he's been just giving them away. And I saw him last night, he was buying like 10 more copies because it, he recognizes the importance of the message. Uh, he, he believes it. It's not my message. It's what God's word is actually communicating. And, uh, and so he's trying to help us uh, share what God's word is saying. And as I've gone through the guy's dorm and come back to the guy's dorm, my wife's been going through the book with with the girls in the girl storm. And it's been very helpful for both uh, genders. It's really helpful if you can just use, you know, guys or just girls. I think that it's just, you stick one girl in a mix of guys and nobody's going to say anything, you know, whereas me going through the book or with... at least they shouldn't. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and uh, so going through it in the guys' dorm has been helpful because it's only the guys, they open up and... Um, <clears throat> and it provides opportunity for discipleship. And particularly in chapter six, finding your happily ever after, you know, we read through that chapter and they were just like, wow, this is like refreshing. I can have victory over sexual sin. And I, um, encouraging them to have victory. And one of the guys made even just some kind of comment. I don't remember what it was exactly, but just like, this is like reading the Bible, uh, like the rest of the Bible. And, and it's because it comes back to what we've talked about on the podcast with the cultivation of the affections. And one reviewer wrote an email to me. The last thing I most valued was the mention of the affections in this book, how we're letting or not letting God shape our affections the way he wants them to be. And so there's that's some of the content that you've heard on our podcast repeatedly. Just it's simply being applied to the relationship, uh, the marriage relationship, or even just our young children. I've repeatedly said in the guy's Bible say you need to kick Freud out of the church. Okay. Amen. Like we've adopted a very Freudian idea of sexuality where it's like this hugely important thing. I'm like, listen, it's not. And and we need to properly order our loves. And, and uh, so the shaping of the affections, what's most important is your relationship with God. This is a secondary thing. Let's put it back into uh, thirdly or fourthly important or wherever down on the ladder it goes. And then finally, you know, like we worked through chapter seven, love made me do it. And the guys could kind of start seeing the handwriting on the wall. And they're like, wow, this is revolutionary. I'm like, it is. And, uh, you know, chapter seven, uh, you read through that, you're not going to read that anywhere else. Uh, and I've alluded to that content on the podcast um, and even on the podcast when we went through it. I don't know if it was, it's just some things are just better not on a podcast. Yep. You need to read yeah. through them. And uh, and then finally, you know, chapters 9, 10, and 11, I don't think I'll ever go through those chapters on the podcast, okay? Uh, it's not that they're inappropriate. It's just that the wording and the time that we spent in crafting those chapters are really 
careful because the topic is so sensitive. Not, and I'm not talking about sex and, and whether or not it's inappropriate. That's one of the things we've repeatedly received is that I, I can hand this kid to my teenager and it, they'll, it's okay. It's the theology that the song is teaching in that section, it is so revolutionary. Uh, and one one reviewer actually wrote my wife directly, and I'm not going to read it, but it's like, wow, that person actually got it. So like on Amazon, <clears throat> we don't have a lot of reviews. And there's like one person gave you like a three-star review, and I'm like, okay, you're the person that didn't really get it. Because I think our book is either going to have one-star reviews with people who absolutely hate it. Mm -hmm. And then five-star reviews who, which is kind of the feedback that we're getting right now. Anything in the middle, basically you didn't understand. Yeah. Like this, that's what the word of God does. And now you apply it to like the realm of sexuality. Mm -hmm. You're either going to love it because it's truth to you, or you're going to absolutely hate it. Yep. So um, anyway, I would strongly recommend that you read our book. Um, I think it can be very shaping of your affections and helpful for you in dethroning the God of sex, kicking Freud out of church and just developing a true biblical sexual, sexual ethic that can help prepare you for marriage uh, a marriage God's way. And just one final comment and something that I'm realizing in my life or something I've started thinking about, and it was actually brought up, I think it was last week on our podcast or a couple weeks back, but I think it was just last week. Cause it's something Andy had said and, or no, was it Andy or was it Tim? I can't remember, but I think it was last week, but was it, your daughter or no it was it was you yeah it was the books that, yep, yep. where your kids realized yes that something was happening and how old your daughter six how old your son nine and you're reading a story to them and it's teaching these ideas about mm -hmm. love and romance and your kids are able to say that's that awakening love thing it is yeah mm. and you know how do you stop a house from burning down Stop well, lighting the, it on fire. The quicker you get to that problem, yeah. the better. Mm -hmm. The longer yeah. you wait, the more damage that will be done. Yep. And that's why you don't awaken. <laughs> yeah. And if you have awakened, where you need to start dousing a fire. Mm -hmm. And that's where I love hearing the story of a child who's catching it early. Mm -hmm. Like, yes. Oop, no, no, no. We're yep. not. We're not awakening yep. love. But then hearing a college student that's like, ooh. Maybe I've made some mistakes when I was mm. in high school and I did awaken love right. and, and now I'm dealing with the ramifications of that. Yeah. And there's there's a great hope there that it's not like, you know, you look at one image or you date the wrong person once and now you're just trash for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. There's hope in the gospel that you can change and uh, that's always present in the word of God. Mm -hmm. But that's I, I love hearing stories like that. Yeah. Of of you you recognize that sometimes the fire you're in is the fire you started. Yep. And, and I think a book like this, especially in the realm of sexuality is going to help people on the front end, not light the match. And then maybe down, however far you are down that road, start to recover and heal from what our culture has, uh, maybe Twisted. let seep into you, mm -hmm. or maybe you've actively intaken, you know? And so, um, in took whatever the right conjugation is, but that, that's where I think this is a really helpful book. But and can you hand me my copy back? Oh, yeah, sorry. since that's my copy, <laughs> I know it has your one. name on it. 
but as your inscription i would say on that one with the cultivation of the affections another thing if the house is burning down don't listen to a musical artist who has tailored their entire musical corpus to swiftly awaken affections that are sinful that would be something which you should not do okay so here's my uh next book that i want to uh share that's the face of discernment, Charlie. I see it. I see it. Moving on to your book. Maybe that'll be my segment each week. It'll be Charlie's face of discernment, where I think about something I want to say, and I don't. Some listeners are going to go back and listen to that and be like, wait a second. Okay, so uh, I'm going to recommend. So my first two were like low, like really fun. I think easy to read um, Christmas book, and then a really interesting novel. This one is, I think it's my favorite book i've read this i don't know this year 2023 either this is my favorite <clears throat> or rc sproul's biography those were my top two now I, these are niche for me like i've a mug that says theology matters i like philosophy so i don't know if everyone will like this but this book is called the consequences of ideas by rc sproul and it's a play on yeah, weavers idea the uh ideas have consequences ideas have consequences yeah <clears throat> so what i loved about sproul's biography is he did not set out to be a top level theologian who wrote, you know, he didn't set out for any of that. He said, people in the pew need to know theology. So I need to teach it so that the people in the pew can understand it and receive it. He, he had an amazing ministry that way. And it ended up giving uh, opportunity for him to write many, many, many books. <clears throat> this book is simply a tour of the history of ideas. I wish I had found this when I prepped my Western Civ class. So Western Civ 2.0 is going to have a ton of this. Um, but he walks through, and I have like uh, John Frame's book, The History of Western Philosophy and Theology. It's essentially, I mean, that, that book's huge and thick, and I, I started and never finished it. This book is attainable and really good. So the stuff that, well, I don't know how much you studied it at Central Tim, but like the 20th century theologian stuff that me and Schrader and all of them were doing. I didn't. I, didn't I had class. it. Yeah. Right. I had it reciprocally through you. Through me. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. No, but like I had it quite reciprocally. He okay. Did. He it was, did. Poor guy. it Poor wasn't, guy. I actually bought the book and more than. No, not the theological method class. We did some. The 20th century theologian. 20th century theologian. Yeah, I bought yeah. that book. Oh yeah. Yeah. And we're four. <laughs> you bought the one, the green one by Grenz. It's good though, Grenz and Olson. That was a good book. Okay. No, anyway. we and we started reading through that in yeah. our reading club. I forgot. Yeah, about we that. read some of it. That was a good one. All that to say though, um, this book. I just want to walk through the chapters so you kind of get the idea. His first chapter is on the first philosophers. He goes back to the pre-Socratics. That's like philosophers before Socrates. And what's really cool is it's not simply a tour of philosophy. It's a tour of man trying to solve life's problems without God or religion. And he points it out really clearly. And then he explains all of these chapters are leading to what comes when you believe that kind of wrong philosophy. So if you've ever taken a philosophy or theology class that seemed dry and boring and whatever, Sproul is trying to avoid that in saying this is why it matters today. Chapter two is Plato, realist and idealist. Chapter three is Aristotle. Chapter four is Augustine. Chapter five is Thomas Aquinas. That one was really interesting with the recent Thomism and Trinitarian debate, like what we were talking about earlier about the federal vision and Doug Wilson and 
James White and all that. Um, but he, it, none of this is, none of this is too hard to handle, but have me having read some of it, it was like, just take it right off the bone. He talks about Rene Descartes and the father of modern rationalism. Next John Locke, David Hume, Immanuel Kant, Karl Marx. And that's where, I mean, the whole book was good, but Marx's chapter, everyone needs to read this chapter on Marx because it's eerily familiar in our culture today hmm. because Marxism and CRT is making such inroads. Kierkegaard is next. Nietzsche, <clears throat> one of my favorite atheists ever. Jean-Paul Sartre. And then he ends with Darwin and Freud. And what you just said about Freud and sex, like that's, that's stock and trade for him. Yeah. Freud is an atheist and an evolutionist. So what's my whole goal in life to reproduce and to fulfill my base desires. And then when I don't, get to do that all my life in his mind gets uh -huh. upset. That's why mental problems right. happen and all this. And it's like the mom that you want to, you, you want to be with your mom and right. you're mad at your dad for being with your, all that weird repressed desires. Right. But Freud, like that's, that's really terrible. So anyways, this book, I would say this book is like, like a meal you're going to have to work a little bit for. Mm -hmm. So like you go to McDonald's, you unwrap the cheeseburger, you eat it. No problem. Okay. But you go to a fancy restaurant where they bring multiple courses and you kind of have to read the ingredients because you've never heard of this French dish before. But then you eat it and it ends up being really good and it takes like an hour and a half to eat the whole meal. That's more like this book. Maybe a good reading group type yes, of book. It would. In fact, if you know, if you have a friend who's a little more philosophically trained or theologically trained and you want to grow, that would be a great thing. Like read one chapter a week. And if you're not real trained in this, just write all your questions down. And then come and discuss. And that would be like a perfect thinklings group. Mm -hmm. um, and it wouldn't be bad for you to do that even over Christmas break. So I would, I would give this an, a nine on the thinklings goodness scale. But it's, it's like right up my alley. It's, that is I like it. The, the Consequences of Ideas by R.C. Sproul. <laughs> by R.C. Sproul. Very good. And that you, you were on a similar chord there. <clears throat> and so, uh, so kind of rehashing the other books. So a more serious but lighter discipleship book. Mere Discipleship was the first book I recommended. And then kind of jump across the other side of the river where it's a fiction. We're going to, we're talking about heaven and hell, but it's not like, it's not a theology book. You're, you're creatively thinking about some, some things and you, it, it challenges you in a completely different way. The great divorce. And then you come back across that river and then maybe you go a little farther away from the river, you know, and here's the song of songs for singles and, uh, where it's, it's walking through a book of the Bible. It's intended for, uh, a very specific specialized study. Right. And, uh, but then we're going to jump back across that river again. We're going to go to, uh, sort of fiction fantasy land, but not really. And so, but it's also kind of getting in that mindset of old thinkers. And so the book that I would end with is, and you could, there's, you could substitute it with one of two other books, but the book I have in front of me is the Odyssey by Homer. <laughs> yeah. And I've so, never read it, but. And so I've been, parts of it. I've been slowly working through it and trying to read it and even listen <clears throat> to it being uh, read, dramatized. And so trying to understand like what is there and, uh, you could sub substitute the Odyssey with either the Iliad or the Aeneid, which are very similar works. And they're all the old Greek 
Roman, I guess, yeah, I guess the Aeneid would be the Roman side of it, Greek for the Odyssey and uh, the Iliad. And uh, why is this worth your time? So I do think it's interesting to note that once you take the Bible out of the equation, this is the most extant copy of any ancient yeah. document that we have in the world. It is. It, yep. And so the Bible is by far and away number one. And then you've got every, you know, what's so like a great modern example would be if you're like, who's the greatest basketball of all time? The Bible is Michael Jordan. And Amen. then the Odyssey or the works of Homer would then be LeBron James. And so <laughs> like he's great. What about Kobe? <laughs> well, I would. St- LeBron, LeBron's come like, on, come on. We Let's... don't talk sports things. <laughs> no. Sports ball games. Why we talk sports ball sports games? Ball games. <laughs> sports matches. Yeah, anyway, um, I actually think I could make a compelling point for why Steph Curry. Oh, that would be good too. Would be the number two player. That'd be good because Steph Curry and the Warriors have beat LeBron in the finals yeah. three times. I'm not even a basketball guy. I just think I will live through Jordan, and LeBron is like a crybaby. I know every LeBron fan is gonna be like, you don't know. I do kind of respect him now, but I. He's he's on if we're having Come Mount on. Rushmore. He's coming on. back, coming he's back. On Mount Rushmore. Let's go. So the illustration <laughs> is to co- compare, you know, enough the sports ball says we, Tim. <laughs> enough enough sports ball talk. Horrendous. <laughs> and so, so that that is worth noting that there are a lot of other people throughout history who thought this was worth preserving. So then you have to think, why did they think it was worth preserving? Much like the Bible. It's not revelation from God, so that's not why they're preserving it, or it's being preserved. There is something in these works that speaks to the fundamental issues of life and being a human. And to summarize it in one word, there's this kleos, there's this glory that's in there. And what is that glory? It's not like the glory of God, His majesty, His holiness. But what I found myself doing here, why I picked this off my shelf, as I had just listened back through the Narnia series. And Narnia, much like Lord of the Rings, much like Harry Potter, much like, you know, The Way of Kings and Brandon Sanderson, and much like, you know, insert fiction series, Dune, that's, you know, going to be popular because movies are coming out. Uh, what those do is they take you somewhere. They transport you. And there's like this adventuring element to it. And that's where I like, I was like, you know what? Let's read through that. And like, here you are and you're you're hearing these conversations of the gods and here's Odysseus trying to get home and here's his son trying to figure out if he's even alive. And there's this kind of mystical adventurous air to it. But woven into it is these discussions of virtue. And the answering big questions of life, like why do things happen to people and who's in control of them? And do you control your destiny? Is it worth fighting for things like that? And, uh, not that the Odyssey is like a Bible to you, like you're going to go to it and find answers to the great questions of life, but it's a classic because it has caused more people than other works to think about those things. and so. That is valuable. 
I do not know a lot about them, but I think the Odyssey is is a good maybe entry point into what would become uh, like a Western canon of great works where you should be thinking about virtue and some of these grand ideas. So uh, that's I'm I'm wanting to continue through it. I think it is an interesting, adventurous type of a, a read. You get to breathe a different cultural air uh, when you read about the Greeks and the Romans and you try to think through how are they solving their problems and, and what even are their problems? How do they view their lives? And uh, so all of that is interesting. And so that I, I would that, that's something I want to keep going through, but I would recommend it uh, because it, it kind of cracks the door to you on an on a older way of thinking that might be worth your time. And not that, you know, not to exalt any particular view that's in the book or there, there's obviously a lot of paganism, you know, they have a pantheon that you're interacting with and, you know, that, not that it's absent even of objectionable material, but uh, it, it's going to crack the door for a reader into another uh, set of, of thoughts that are worth your time. It may be, maybe you tell me if you think this is right. So when you study the Bible or study theology, it's almost like you're directly doing something useful in your Christian life. When you discipline yourself to read old books that have had a major effect, it's almost like going to the gym and lifting weights. Like in a war, I'm not going to sit down and out push up a soldier, but those muscles that it's building in my mind and my thoughts would help me later to think better. Is that like a fair or no? What do you think? I would, yes, it's not an instant payoff. And, and, you're, you're getting into like, and there's like not always knowing how the payoff is going to look in the future. Yeah, Like we, we <laughs> struggle to pay attention for 20 minutes, you know, and you're going to read a book like this and it's big and thick and they go on these long poetic discourses or to throw another book into the conversation that would be similar, uh, like paradise lost. <laughs> That's a, a, a long <laughs> epic poem about, you know, s certain theological ideas, you know, heaven, hell, Satan, you know, and, how do you like how do you even digest that mm -hmm. and yeah. there's the ideas that it's presenting to you and those are valuable but then because it's poetry and the way that you have to work through the poetry it's how it forms you as you read it and so i think that formation as you read it mm -hmm. is almost just as important as the ideas you might get from it but you you cuz it's it's not easily accessible you don't wake up tomorrow and go bench 500 pounds. That no. takes years. Yeah. And so I do like that illustration. Okay. But anyway, the recommendation is the Odyssey by Homer or uh, the Iliad or the Aeneid. Uh, but Sounds like an excellent or an arete recommendation. Mm. Mm. That's, that's it for me. Those are my four that I brought. <laughs> All right. My last one is Citizens and Exiles by Scott Annual and the, the sub- <laughs> Charlie, I've missed. I have missed that. It's been like three months since I've heard you say friend of the podcast. Do you know why I do that? Because <laughs> you're Charlie. So, because I, yes, you're right. So I don't watch do them Do we anymore. need another reason? <laughs> you're Charlie. That's sufficient That's, reason. That, it, that ontology solves all problems. So answers all questions. So I don't listen to them anymore or watch any of their content because they have gone the way of the woke liberal. But in a previous life, I really enjoyed Rhett and Link. Oh, yeah. And I've actually met them. 
And so oh. you've met Rhett and Link? Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's such a sad story. They are, they grew up in the South, they actually grew up going to a Baptist church. Yeah. That's where they met. And then, you know, a lot of junk, you know, who knows if they're genuine believers or not. Uh, one of them, yeah. Rhett, you can go on Twitter and he will uh, sometimes contend with Christians that <clears throat> were dumb and yeah. we don't understand life, which is sad um, because they're hilarious. Yep. Uh, they're fun. But in their early videos, whenever they would mention an item, they would always be like, not a sponsor. Oh. <laughs> and I always thought that was so funny. And oh, so that's, that's cool. the, that's like the little, tone like I'm that. trying to take is like, friend of the podcast, you know? <laughs> More or, positive one. Yeah. Like instead of like a not a sponsor, like friend of the podcast. So anyway. That's more constructive than deconstructive, yes. <laughs> we could start when we mention people that aren't friends of the podcast, be like, not a friend of the podcast. <laughs> Oh, we might want to try to invite them onto the podcast before labeling them. Not a friend. <laughs> Not a friend. Yeah, you know, that might be more Christian. <laughs> anyway, friend of the podcast is the author of your book. All right. So I recommended in the past, I think I, I don't know. Anyway, The Greatness of the Kingdom by Alvin J. McLean. This idea of the kingdom of God. What is this idea of the kingdom of God? Uh, it's an important theological um, discussion that will affect your ecclesiology and what you perceive as the mission of the church. McLean's book dates back to the 50s. It was the main book. I still really like it. There's a couple of things I disagree with, but for the most part, he makes a distinction between the eternal kingdom of God and the mediatorial, the kingdom of God on this earth. Uh, he Will Reign Forever by Michael Vlock was uh, kind of like an update to that idea of that view of the kingdom scott annual takes i think the same view if it if it's not the same it's very similar uh the two kingdom theology is kind of what he talks in in the language that he uses those previous two books greatness of the kingdom and vlocks he will reign forever really focus on the theology of the kingdom scott annual's citizens and exiles is more of a fleshing out of that theology. Like, how does this idea of the kingdom really affect our lives um, in in this world, particularly in a day and age where Doug Wilson's come up a few times? He has a very different view of the kingdom of God. And it is it, it impacts his theology or his uh, his way of interacting with this world. So um, if you're just kind of like, what is this idea of the kingdom of God and how does that really apply to my regular daily life? Citizens and Exiles by Scott Annual would be an excellent book for you to read. It is much more accessible. Uh, Greatness of the Kingdom and He Will Reign Forever are both like four or 500 pages, really big, and they're f- focusing on Bible theology. Uh, whereas Annual's book is under 200 pages, and he really is focusing on on uh, life in this world. We are not uh, citizens of earth. We are citizens of heaven, uh, citizens of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus. However, the king is not here. So we are essentially really pilgrims on this earth. This is the terminology of First Peter. Peter uses this terminology, okay? And, and so what does that look like as being displaced citizens where our true kingdom is uh, in heaven awaiting for the king to return, to set up his kingdom here on earth? How do we live in light of this? This has massive implications for your ecclesiology, your doctrine of the church, and what is the mission of the church? 
which is where we have strong, I have strong differences with Doug Wilson concerning the mission of the church. Annual wrote an article, Polishing Brass on a Sinking Ship, where he, it's a more academic article. Um, and, uh, and this book is kind of like a popular level explanation of the church's interaction with culture. So uh, Citizens and Exiles by Annual is my last title, and um, I'd recommend picking it up and reading it. That sounds really interesting. I tried to read, I think I had to read Alva J. McLean in seminary. I don't know that I got it read very closely. You know, that's probably back in my less academic days. Yeah. But I picked it up like four years ago, two years ago again to read it. And it was like a six point font book too. Yeah. So it, it is thick and then it's also like small font, but it's so foundational. Like even just a skim of the the outline and like catching some of the big points, but that's really intriguing. I would, I would put that on my reading list. So mm -hmm. thanks for the recommendation. All right. So in, in line with shameless plugs of your own stuff, you know, I've already recommended your book and he has too. Oh, so now you? it's your turn. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I have not. Um, man, I tried to listen. I really did, but I found it very hard to listen on my drives. Like it was, it was interesting. I, I really thought it'd be easy to keep up with the podcast when I wasn't on it. So, um, I'm just going to recommend over Christmas. Glad you asked answers to 12 tough questions about Christmas that you need answers for, because it is literally about Christmas. But, uh -huh. um, have you walked, how much have you walked through it then? Just your article. Okay. So more than just me, there are other good questions in here that are answered. So is cr having a Christmas tree, a sinful practice? That's uh, you, Charlie says yes. Okay, because <laughs> you don't want to bother Here getting one. Here we go. <clears throat> I think if you have, this is. Do you have one? A completely irrelevant position that means nothing about your moral bearing. <laughs> but if I was to have a tree, it would be a real tree. Ooh. Ooh. So for years, that was me and Robin. Go out, cut it down. Get that smell in your house. And then 2018, we're like, if we just bought a fake tree, we would save. A hundred dollars a year, and so I've had the same fake tree. And then the next year, Robin's like, "Can we get one for the basement too?" I'm like, "What?" <laughs> so we got one for the basement for the kids' ornaments that are like cheese yep. ball, and then you have like the upstairs one that's nice. And yeah. uh, now I have a moderately full sized one for my office at work because we got a new <laughs> one for the basement, so I got the old one. She really liked Christmas trees. Yes, so. I I would I but think I, I love the smell. Of a real yes, one. I, I, that, that would be a principle yeah. that I think so I would good. like to instill in my home someday is real trees. Yeah. But there's a lot of virtue to non-real trees because I would love to have a Star Wars themed tree. Yes. That would have a Death Star <laughs> on the top. You're and horrendous. I would also love to have a Lord of the Rings themed tree that would have the Eye of Sauron on top. Mm, no, brother. I um, saw that on Twitter the other day. Twitter yeah. is really getting a lot of airtime. Anyway... A Death Star, because it's a star. Yeah. Oh, that's Pathetic. beautiful. Tim, I didn't even catch that. You could put Arendelle on top of the Lord of the Rings tree. Yeah. Tim, you caught that before I did. I should let put it the, on the record calendar. show. Let them write it down. <laughs> uh, so, so we were big proponents of a real tree as well. Um, <clears throat> but the small tree that can be put together every yep. year, some pragmatics kind of went out. So yeah. no, no real trees for the littles anymore. And for, for us, it was a budget thing too. We were really tight. Yeah. It yeah, was the, really tight mm -hmm. for a while for us. Yep. Um, and that was part of it, but man, nothing beats 
walking in and smelling evergreen. Yeah, but you can I light a candle. It. No, it's not the same. Yeah, it's not enough. a. It's, it's I think not the same. Well, what would we think of this? This is, has nothing to do with anything. We're just sidetracked <laughs> on Christmas now. But what would we think of squirrel if you planted a tree in your yard oh so that that is your Christmas tree? And so you go out to your yard every year and you have the same tree. Oh, and you, you decorate it. And it's not in your home. And you decorate the tree that all the neighbors can see. That's, like a, that's kind of a fun idea. People I thought like, you were going to say get a planter and have it in your home and take no, it no, in no, and no. out every year. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about... Yeah. That'd be so, great. So the, um, the, um, the table of contents is having a Christmas tree a sinful practice. These are all chapters of the book. And what reasons for hope the ministry that put this book out. They have another book or they have a couple more books that are just question and answer books. Part of what their ministry is, is there's questions that, and this is aimed primarily at high school, college age, and it's meant to be useful for basically anyone. So when they, when they had to gave us instructions to write, they didn't want a deep, super deep theological, but they didn't want it to be very accurate and whatnot. But the point is uh, there's some Christmas questions that are out there that can get under the skin of the faith of younger people or college students. And so they're trying to cast down lofty arguments or trying to take every thought captive to Christ. So these are just questions about Christmas. Um, I'll read a couple more and then I'll tell you where they came from. Did Jesus really have three wise men visit him as a baby? Is Jesus' birth story based on a myth or a ripoff of Horus, Mithras, and other Egyptian gods? Like, I'm just, I just think a Lutheran satire when I hear that. Um, was there really a star of Bethlehem? Did it move? Was it a comet? Did it appear? Did it reappear? Was it, I mean, these are all Oh boy, the star of Bethlehem. Yeah. That's yeah, a controversial one. And so it's, it's not a very thick book. It's 12 questions. What, what is intriguing to me, and I think is wise, is Reasons for Hope has like... Bible camps they do all throughout the summer in different locations. And it's like 17 hours of training. It's you do fun things, but then you have lots of sessions where you're taking notes. And their goal is really to help high schoolers and maybe a little younger, but mostly high schoolers be ready to find out there are answers to the questions the world throws at Christianity. But at those camps, they will say, write a note card, write on a note card what questions you have, and they'll take all these in. And they take the most asked questions, and that's what their next book is. Yep. So this are the mo- the 12 most asked questions they had about Christmas, which I thought that was a, if you're trying to serve the church, that's like a good way to do it. Yeah. So yeah. anyways, so I th- the book's kind of, it's it's short. Um, it's the only thing I've ever written that's been published. And so that's, well, no, no, I had that Baptist Bolton article, but it was really, really fun to write a chapter and be able to answer it. And I had a, I just enjoyed it. How many, how many questions? 12. 12 do, questions. Do, 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 do. You know what someone should do? Someone should write a book that has 12 questions about discipleship. How's Maybe that you could coming? call it like 12 discipleship <laughs> questions. How's that coming? Oh, shameless plug. Yeah. Uh, it, 2024, we'll see the end of the, the book. Amen. Hopefully, Lord willing. And by by Lord, I it's there's a dual meaning there in my intention. First, obviously, the Lord. You know, God is sovereign, but also the Pope of the bookstore. It's, it falls under his purview <laughs> oh as well. Oh, my words. So, uh, so <sighs> the end of the podcast, what we always do, we always have uh, a meditation in the Word of God. And so I would like to do that, but I'd also like to christen a new holiday. Okay? So, are you oh pausing? Boy. Balrog days? I thought well, we were This that. is in line with Balrog days. Oh, yes. oh boy. But not, not exactly that. So, okay. I believe, if I've counted correctly, that this would air on the 26th. 
Okay. Yes. Which day is after. most famously known as the day after Christmas. Eh. <laughs> the the day after the day after Christmas Eve. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> okay. Now I could be wrong too. It's actually a couple of people's birthday that I know. So I'm Hashtag not sure, but isn't, happy the birthday, day, sunny. isn't the day after Christmas called Boxing Day? Oh, maybe, but like, do, 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 do. I don't know those things. <clears throat> yeah. So I feel like there's a, it's boxing. Yeah, it is. Tim, day it after Christmas. So what I would like to propose, and uh, I think we should vote on it as Thinklings, is that we change Boxing Day. We're going to add one letter. We're going to add an O. It's going to be called Booksing Day. <sighs> and that is I the day it. that you give and read and love the books that you were just gifted or have gifted hey amen charlie that is see that's like the home run the home run right there boxing day boxing day yeah yes. i love it and we gotta very, do something on social media with it's that very, too yes i think we that would be appropriate sydney and, get on that yes and, and, and so uh <laughs> understanding she's gonna hear that the day of <laughs> we might send some emails we'll maybe see. we should do that but to christening day so uh so let's, good let's uh, as a Thinklings group, let's uh, say all in favor, say aye. 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 There we go. It passes unanimously. Uh, and have we so ever had a vote? We have not. So that's also a new thing we're doing, apparently. We have become a Democrat. Democracy. So a hundred years from now, when people are like, where did Booksing Day come from? Oh boy. This is the historical account of the creation of Booksing Day. And so we, we have just created a holiday that December 26th is the day that you enjoy and love the books that you have gifted or have been gifted. And so get a good coffee, read books, talk about them with your friends. And yeah. remember, if you want your loved ones to celebrate Booksing Day next year, you need to actually buy them a book book for Booksing Day Christmas. Yes. That's good. So that they can celebrate Booksing Day. You can't, you can't celebrate Booksing Day without a, 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 a new book. book. Gift. So uh, here are. The verses I would like to read. So Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, and you know, we're jumping right in the middle of an Old Testament prophet, but most of you should probably know what Isaiah 7, 14 is. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so a prophecy of the birth of God the birth of the Savior. There's a similar prophecy a couple chapters later regarding him. But just to remind us all of, you know, on what is now officially Booksing Day, not to be, uh, actually, yes, Booksing Day should be overshadowed by yesterday. That this is the celebration of the fulfillment of God's plan to save and redeem his people. Not just Israel, which is literal, but to also, through that son, pay for the sins of the world and to offer eternal life through by faith, uh, according to his grace for us, or towards us. And so, uh, quick little verse there to think about uh, on Booksing Day, that uh, Jesus is your Savior, is the Savior of the world, and died in your place. And this time of year, we celebrate his birth, the coming of new life. And in just a few short months, we are going to be celebrating his death. And uh, Easter would be that reminder to us that the reason he is born is to die on the cross for us and then raise from the grave. Mm. 
Hmm. So, uh, yes, we celebrate his birth. We will look forward in a few months to celebrating his death and resurrection, and we praise him as our Lord and Savior. So thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Thinklings Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast. The Thinklings want to remind our listeners that the Thinklings Podcast is our personal production. Our conversations, book discussions, and viewpoints may not represent the views of Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary. Any questions or feedback should be directed to us at the Thinklings Podcast.